Hi everyone, and happy Wednesday. I am actually dropping this episode early because I just couldn't wait. There is just so much going on in the Vandersphere, as I feel like I'm saying on a weekly basis, but um, there's just so much going on with that New York Times article and so much else that I'm just like, I need to get this to you guys right now. So um, today's episode will cover news of the week as per usual. Um, I'll cover Rachel Goes Rogue. I'm going to cover that whole New York Times article, um, Vanderpump Rules recap, as well as a recap of the after show, which as we keep saying is even juicier than the episode. Um, But there was just so much to get into that I was like, I I have to get this to you guys early. So since Beverly Hills and Miami haven't aired yet, I will do a pop-up of the finales of those episodes um, on the weekend. And then I think what I'm going to do for the reunions, because nothing, there, there wasn't a ton that happened in these seasons, so I'm not expecting that much to come of the reunions. So what I think I'll do is instead of covering the reunions in full, I'll just add them to news of the week if they are newsworthy, like if there's anything that happens in those reunions that I feel you guys need to know. All right, well, let's get into the episode. He's a battered wife. Look at him. Okay, so first up in News of the Week is Bo Deedle and Louis Rielis are being sued. So you'll remember that Louis Rielis is um, Teresa Judice's husband, and Bo Deedle was the private investigator that he kept mentioning last year that he said that he had sent to investigate all of the other women and then he took it back. So now they are being sued for allegedly hacking computers um, for harassment and abuse against Vanessa Riser, who's the ex-fiance of Louis. Um, According to court docs obtained by Page Six, um, Ruelas and Deedle were notoriously linked during 2023's Real Housewives of New Jersey season 13, and a group of lawyers are being sued by separate phalanx of New York-based attorneys who claim that the duo illegally accessed sensitive information in their system to dig up dirt on one of the Bravo Liberty's previous lovers who was unnamed in the suit. The lawyers, including plaintiff Kevin Johnson, who confirmed to the Daily Beast that the individual in question was Riser, allege in their suit that Ruelas, Deedle, and the counsel did so with criminal reckless malicious fraudulent intent devised to defraud the plaintiffs and cover their own misdeeds related to their efforts as attorney client private investigators to hire sleuths to illegally ascertain personal details about her um so then Bo Deedle had responded to this um because what's his name David Yontif who does um the Behind the Velvet Rope podcast um, had reported about this, and then um, Bo Deedle had responded. Just let me find it. Do 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 do. How's everyone's Wednesday going? Okay, so then he responds. Another lie. Boy, why are people so jealous of my hard work and success? In this lying allegation, how can there be a case where there is no evidence? Just another fool trying to get a lie in the press. This time, I think he will be dealt with legally and through the New York State Bar Association. There is a reason I've been in business almost 40 years. I will not commit a crime or will not allow my client to commit one without my knowledge. This clown attorney will be shown for what he is. I'm prepared a major liable and slander case. Bo. And then Louis Rielas responded to that. Bo, thank you for telling the truth. These attention-seeking psychos. Hashtag fatal attraction. Hashtag gone girl. <laughs> oh, man. That that man is an interesting person. I mean, he was pretty terrifying last season, like, in the reunions where he was like, let's play. Like, he was... He's very scary. I... But I also don't know about this ex-wife as well. I think she's come after him with a lot of allegations before, so I guess we'll just have to see where this one goes. 
Um, so Portia Williams, as we discussed, is coming back to Real Housewives of Atlanta, which is great, but her husband, Simon Guabadia, has been denied U.S. citizenship. Um, so basically what's going on is that her husband is a Nigerian businessman, and he was shot down by the federal government due to past crimes he committed in the country. In court documents shared by the Neighborhood Talk on Instagram, a number of Simon's alleged past crimes were explained, including bank and credit card fraud, unauthorized use of a vehicle, and identity fraud. Simon was also accused of overstaying his past visa in August 1982 and was said to have been deported in 1992 after allegedly using a fake ID to receive temporary resident status under the Special Agricultural Worker Program. As part of the Special Agricultural Worker uh, Immigration Benefits, petitioners' temporary Petitioner's temporary resident status was automatically converted to permanent resident status following the waiting period. Petitioner received his permanent resident card on April 27, 1992, 26 days after he had been deported under his other undisclosed identity, court documents stated, as noted in the report by the Jasmine brand. Um, Although Simon's temporary resident status was eventually made permanent due to his use of an alleged fake ID, he was still removed from the country. That said, that didn't stop him from returning weeks later, and in December 2022, he attempted to use the benefits he received through the SAW program as the reason he should be eligible for uh, U.S. citizenship. The Neighborhood Talk also said that Simon's past marriages were also allegedly listed as shams in court documents. Following Simon's most recent marriage to Portia in November 2022, he filed another complaint requesting the court throw out their previous denial of his potential citizenship and grant him citizenship in the U.S. Um, The Jasmine brand also said that while Simon requested a hearing after his latest request, the denial has since been reaffirmed. And in January, the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services was granted the right to throw out Simon's case. Um... And although Simon has may have been struggling to gain citizenship, he insisted on Sunday through an Instagram selfie that he is doing well. So I don't really know what's going on here. Um, this sort of reminds me a lot of, what's his name, Teresa's husband or ex-husband, Joe Judice, and, and the whole citizenship situation there. Hopefully they get this sorted out. Um, this man has been married a whole host of times, and Portia was definitely hoping that this was the last one for her. So... I don't know. This situation seems very confusing, um, but I hope that they get it sorted out. Um, I didn't really want to get into the Jackson Brittany of it all because it just seems like such garbage, but, and I didn't really want to even post about it either. So basically there was all these rumors that Jackson Brittany from Vanderpump Rules slash Now the Valley had broken up. I didn't really want to believe it, so I didn't want to post about it, but then I felt like I had to say something because I guess that's my job now. Um, so basically, people were saying that they were seeing Britney post pictures in different homes, um, that they had not seen them post pictures together, um, and that Jax was away. He also posted a picture with um, a woman really tightly close, but that his, that's his PR rep, Lori. Um, Jax and Schwartz were in Toronto. Sorry. Schwartz was in Toronto last week, and then Jax and Schwartz were together with their PR rep, Lori, um, amongst a a whole host of other people who were properly supervising them in Montreal this past weekend. Um, And then Jax commented on the rumor saying, what, I can't go away for a couple of days for work without my wife. So, I mean, the internet sleuths will catch what they catch, right? But to me, it really just did not seem true. And then he posted a, um, like, a FaceTime screenshot saying, like, missing the fam, can't wait to see the fam, and ja- and Brittany and, and uh, what's their kid's name? Cruz are on the other side of the photo. So it all looked well. But then again, I mean, this could be so many things. This could be their attempt at trying to garner 
um, some interest in the valley because we still haven't even seen like a real promo. We saw that sizzle reel or whatever it was, but we never saw like a real trailer. Um, so maybe people are, maybe he's thinking people are trying to forget about it. So they're trying to dredge up some, you know, interest in that way. Maybe it really is something and they don't plan to announce it till later. Um, again, I really didn't think that it was anything. And then I was listening to She's Speaking with Emily Hanks, which is a really reputable podcast, and I really like it a lot. And she says that she has an inside source into the cast, which says, who says that this is true, that they are on the outs, that they are breaking up. So I guess we'll have to see what comes of it, but it, it just doesn't appear like it to me. It appears more to me like they're doing this to get more likes, get more attention towards the valley. That's sort of my opinion on it. Um, another piece of interesting news is that Mary Cosby has allegedly signed on as a full-time cast member for season five of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. I, I have think I, I, I have opinions on this. Like, she was hilarious, and then she wasn't. She definitely said some things that were inappropriate. I think she excels more so as a friend of than a full-time cast member. She's just a weird lady. Her life is super bizarre. And I think when we get her in little amounts, that's when we can see her levity and get her for her comic relief. That's sort of what she brings to us, her eating McDonald's in the car and not wanting to participate and all those little things. But it was the deep, dark, seedy underbelly of her life in full-time form that just made us uncomfortable with her. So I am surprised that they're going in this direction. Um, in terms of a full-time role, especially because she's she's going to get herself canceled. She's constantly saying things that are inappropriate and in little amounts, you can sort of maybe dismiss them, but in, in large waves, I think it's going to be an issue. So um, I guess we'll sort of see what happens as the season unfolds. I definitely believe that they can change someone from full-time cast member to a friend of as the season progresses. And I definitely think that's what's gonna happen here. Um, so let's get into Tom Sandoval and the New York Times. So this article came out yesterday called How Tom Sandoval Became the Most Hated Man in America by the New York Times. And there was this quote that came out where he was likening um, Scandoval to the O.J. Simpson trial and the George Floyd of it all. And the internet literally went wild. So what I'm going to do is actually read the article in full for the very first time. I actually have not read the article myself yet. So I'm going to read it for you guys and for myself for the very first time. And we will chat as we go. All right. February 20th, 2024 by Irina Alexander. Valley Village is a Los Angeles neighborhood just across the freeway from Studio City near the southern edge of the area locally referred to both with affection and, der and derision as the Valley. There at the end of a quiet, leafy street on a ranch-style home stands what real estate agents have come to describe as a modern farmhouse, with which its current occupant, the reality TV star Tom Sandoval, is outfitted with landscaping lights that rotate in a spectrum of colors, mimicking the dance floor of a nightclub. What? <laughs> he has landscaping lights that look like a dance floor on the outside? This must be so annoying for his neighbors. What? Especially Breckenmeyer with his young son. Okay, so the home is both his private residence and an occasional TV set for the Bravo reality TV show Vanderpump Rules. After a series of events that came to be known as Scandaval, paparazzi had been camped outside, but by the new year it was just one or two guys, and now they have mostly gone too. Scandaval is the nickname for Sandoval's affair with another cast member, which he has been behind uh, the backs of the show's producers 
which he had behind the backs of the show's producers and his girlfriend of nine years. This wouldn't be interesting or noteworthy, except that in 2023, after being on the air for 10 seasons, Vanderpump was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Unstructured Reality Program, an honor that has never been bestowed on any of the network's housewife shows. It also became, by a key metric, the most-watched cable series in the advertiser-beloved demographic of 18- to 49-year-olds and brought in over 12.2 million viewers. This happened last spring, when Hollywood's TV writers went on strike and cable TV was declared dead, and our culture had already become so fractured that it was rare for anything, let alone an episode of television, to become a national event. And yet you probably heard about Scandaval, even if you couldn't care less about who these people are exactly. The story has continued off-screen. After the season aired, Raquel Levis, with whom Sandoval had the affair, entered a mental health facility in Arizona and started going by a different name. Ariana Maddox, Sandoval's now ex-girlfriend, garnered so much national sympathy that she has been the most prosperous year of her career. In addition to being invited to the White House Correspondents' Dinner and to compete on Dancing with the Stars, she landed ads with Duracell batteries, Bic razors, Uber Eats, and Lay's chips, as well as a starring role in Chicago on Broadway this winter. Sandoval, meanwhile, became the most reviled man in America and the butt of a million jokes. Jennifer Lawrence made fun of his skin. Amy Schumer called him a narcissist. One of the hosts of The View called him the Donald Trump of ex-boyfriends. And Sandoval has just been here, in the valley, trying to process it all. I feel like I got more hate than Danny Masterson, he told me. And he's a convicted rapist. Um, okay. When I arrived at his house later last year, late last year, Sandoval, who was 41, had just finished his working out. He wore a black muscle shirt and a wide headband. His assistant, Miles, was at the dining room table sorting through Sandoval's utility bills on two laptops. So it's funny, because at this point in time, so this is at the end of last year, Sandoval already has another assistant. Um, so I'm just confused about the whole assistant thing when it comes to Anne, because I thought Anne quit, like, in January. So, um... I don't know if this guy Miles is who replaced Anne, but I would like to know, and I'm definitely going to reach out to Anne. Um, so he basically does anything I don't personally have to do, Sandoval explained. We were also joined by Riley, who's on Sandoval's new publicity team, which has a background in crisis PR. I assumed Riley would be an impediment, but my fears were put to rest when she didn't flinch at the Danny Masterson comment. Riley is 23, has watched Vanderpump Rules since she was in middle school, in middle school and seemed as interested in Sandoval's life as I was. You have a 23-year-old PR rep? Dude, this is the most scandalous thing, salacious thing that you're ever going to be a part of. This thing destroyed your life, and your PR rep is a baby who has, who can't possibly have very much experience in this field. This is wild to me. And this is why he's doing this interview. This Riley shouldn't have had him do the interview. He needs to stop talking. There's your problem. All right. When Sandoval described how, despite their gnarly national televised split, he and Maddox have continued living together, sequestered in separate parts of the five-bedroom home, and communicating via assistance. Riley was curious to hear more. So all of her stuff is still here, Riley asks? Sandoval wasn't sure, but he thought Maddox might have finally rented a place. She took the dog and the cat, and I know she wouldn't do that if she was staying somewhere temporarily, he said. Sandoval wanted to buy her out and buy out her share of the home, but interest rates are so crazy right now. He was considering getting a roommate to help with the mortgage. At least he thought Maddox was finally open to the idea. It took her a while to not be so spiteful about the house, he said. A month after we met, Maddox sued Sandoval in Los Angeles County to force him to sell the home and divide the proceeds. My tape recorder wasn't on yet, and Sandoval wanted to make sure I was getting everything. Do you want to, like, record this? <laughs> 
Of course I want to record this. I couldn't remember interviewing a public figure as, easy, as eager to speak into a recording device. But then again, Sandoval is not a typical celebrity, nor is Vanderpump, which is currently airing in its 11th season, your typical show. Early reality series like Big Brother and Survivor rotated casts in every season. Shows that didn't, like The Hills, never lasted this long. Um, even its closest point of comparison, Bravo's Real Housewives franchise, is more of a weekly cage match in which bloodied fighters are retired once they're no longer useful. And Sandoval, the Midwest-bred son of a firefighter and a marketing executive, is not a Kardashian. No, he isn't? What I meant is that although reality programming has been a dominant part of American culture for over two decades, we've never actually put a regular person on reality TV to live out much of their adult life and gotten to see what happens to them as a result. That's an interesting point. Contrary, sorry, there you guys. Contrary to public misconception, Vanderpump is not about Lisa Vanderpump, a former Bravo housewife, which is so true. A lot of my friends are like, so is this about Lisa Vanderpump's family and kids? Um, it started as a show about waiters and bartenders who lived in crappy apartments around Hollywood and, for the most part, wanted to be actors. That dream didn't work out, but they became reality TV stars instead. For a while, this ruined the show. It became less honest. The cast still worked shift at a restaurant, but actually they drove nice cars and bought $2 million houses. Once the show stopped pretending that nothing had changed, it turned out that the reality show was about reality stars was not any less interesting. On the last season alone, there was Scandoval, in which Sandoval, a reality star approaching middle age, proceeded to start a cover band, open a bar, and sleep with Levis, a former beauty queen. A couple that had been on the show since the first season finally decided to divorce, leaving the wife to realize that she may never have kids. And a woman who once bragged that her private jet lifestyle was financed by Randall Emmett, the direct-to-video film producer, left him and became a breadwinner as she fought for custody of their daughter. Alex Baskin, an executive producer of Vanderpump, developed it as a spin-off of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, which featured Vanderpump as the owner of several mediocre restaurants. <laughs> I didn't know that they were trying to feature her mediocre restaurants. That's actually hilarious. Baskin noticed that Sir, which stands for Sexy Unique Restaurant, indeed had a sexy unique atmosphere. In 2011, he sent a screenshot of Sir's website with Vanderpump on a throne surrounded by her good-looking staff to Andy Cohen, who was then Bravo's vice president for original programming. The network provided a small budget for Baskin to explore the idea. What Baskin found was an incestuous friend group in which everyone was either living or sleeping with one another. It was everything you look for in a TV show, Baskin told me. It just hit me in the face. At the time, prestige TV was on the rise, and writers' rooms across Hollywood became overly preoccupied with chasing critical approval, rather than audiences and revenue. In this context, Vanderpump was an appealing alternative. Yes, it looked and acted like a reality TV show, but at its core, it was more like the great scripted shows of the 1990s in that it was about a group of friends living life, dating one another, giving up their hopes of their 20s for the realities of their 30s. It relied on time-tested screenwriting tenants, good, unexpected stories about original characters going through relatable cycles of jealousy, regret, insecurity, and longing. The show was also a brilliant premise, commercially speaking. The TV business shepherded crowds to the real world business and vice versa. You could watch Sandoval and his friends on TV, then drop by and have him make you a pumptini. The show's main draw was the cheating scandals, of which there were three by the end of the second season, and the show took place more outside the restaurant. It went through an identity crisis. In 2020, it was further de uh, debilitated by the pandemic and the departure of four cast members of the cast because of past racist incidents and resurfaced social media posts. By season nine, there were rumors that Vanderpump was on the brink of cancellation. We were hobbling, Baskin told me. The very next season, Scandaval dropped into Bravo's laps. The show's producers treated it like it was a news story. 
Late on the evening of March 1st, 2023, when principal filming for the 10th season was wrapped and episodes were already airing, Sandoval was performing a new single with his band when his phone fell out of his pocket. Maddox opened it to discover an intimate recording of Levis. The next morning, Maddox notified the show's talent producer, who called the showrunner, who called Baskin, who called Bravo, which scrambled to approve budgets. On March 3rd, crews pulled up pulled off another Bravo set, and cameras were back up to capture the fallout of the cast processing the affair. The resulting footage, which aired in May, is an incredible uh, episode of television, and it was. That episode, that final episode that they put together in such a short period of time, chef's kiss, honestly. Maddox, with damp hair and puffy, cried-out eyes, says, I loved you when you had nothing, and that girl is searching for an identity in men, and I would have followed you anywhere. Producers did not put cameras down, even as Scandoval screamed, sorry, even as Sandoval screamed at them to stop filming him during the subsequent reunion special, which was so brutal that Amy Schumer compared it to the end of Schindler's List. Wow, I don't remember that. No one, not Sandoval or Baskin or the executives at Bravo, are quite sure why the season resonated the way it did. Maybe it was that Scandoval had awakened something in everyone who had ever cheated or been cheated on, resulting in endless memes and diatribes in social media. Or that the affair landed in the news while the season was airing, turning it into an interactive murder mystery of sorts, with viewers searching for clues in earlier episodes. Now, that's what it totally was for me. Like, you know, I mean, the necklaces, the the slapping her on the butt. I mean, we were just, like, looking for these Easter eggs in each episode. And it, became, it became this sort of, like, uh, Sixth Sense thing where we know what happened, but now we want to go back and, and find all the clues, right? Uh, the article goes on, Now it is easy to be cynical about these things. Isn't it plausible that when faced with the show's uncertain future, producers got together with the cast and cooked up a cheating scandal? This is a popular conspiracy theory, but Baskin told me that the covert affair and continuing fallout was too elaborate to manufacture. I totally agree with that. Like, Tom and Raquel were not brilliant enough to come up with this. I mean, Raquel left the state, he said. When I asked Sandoval, he insisted that if he was going to script a fake storyline, it wouldn't have been one that destroyed his life. I would, I would have never participated in that, he said. Willingly, I said. You would have never participated in that willingly, since you did technically continue to film the show. Right, willingly, he said. Hell no. Um, at Sandoval's house, he made a cup of tea, and Riley and I were listening to what the past year of his life had been like. The thing with Levis started with what sounded like a midlife crisis. You know, when you just feel like you don't know what's cool anymore, he said, and you're past your prime and you're a little bit of a joke, Riley nodded. He started to feel as though his best years were behind him. He wanted to feel alive again. He and Maddox had grown apart. He planned to tell her about the affair after the season aired. He didn't want it to play out on the show. When he shouted at producers to stop filming, he couldn't remember another time in the show's history that he'd done so, unless he was getting in the shower or something. I just wanted to not feel watched, he said. I just wanted to take a breath. After he finished filming, he went on tour with his band, Tom Sandoval and the Most Extras. He had to. His bank accounts were overdrawn and he needed the money. So again, this is so confusing if he says that he can buy Ariana out for $3.1 million, but I digress. Um, crowds of people came to hate on him. They showed up wearing t-shirts that said cheater and worm with a mustache, a name one of his castmates coined. Everywhere he went, people called him a loser or screamed Team Ariana at him. When he returned home, there were groups of strangers with cameras at his house who seemed to be making fun of him. On the show, Sandoval had complained about always being the one to replenish batteries and other domestic supplies. Now as Maddox filmed her various commercial spots at home, it had become ad 
It had become an ad for copy for Duracell. I buy my own batteries now and big razors. I'm just starting a whole new unclogged chapter in my life. In June, a friend sent him a photo of Sweet Lady Jane, a popular bakery in Los Angeles, selling cakes with Sandoval's a liar written in the frosting. Sandoval's friends distancing themselves. His brother asked him to delete photos of them together on Instagram. Sandoval says he was asked to stop going into Schwartz and Sandy's, a lounge in the Franklin Village neighborhood that he co-owns. The show's fans tanked the bar's Yelp reviews and were harassing staff. Somehow people got to Sandoval's cell number. His phone started ringing at all hours of block numbers, with women pretending to be Levis and men asking how they could find her. He started to feel as if he were in Uncut Gems, the nerve-jolting Sapphire Brothers movie in which the protagonist is isolated and on the run. He got down, like really down. His mind went to some dark places. Friends suggested that he get on Wellbutrin. In April, he quit drinking, hence the tea he was now sipping. That, that's interesting that his friends suggest a specific antidepressant. That is absolutely bizarre. Wellbutrin is an antidepressant, but there are many antidepressants, and antidepressants react to each individual differently. Just because your friend is on Wellbutrin or you know someone who is on Wellbutrin doesn't mean it is the right drug for you. That's why you need to see your doctor. I feel like I sound like one of those um, commercials for a medication, but like literally he should go to his doctor and find out which um, antidepressant will work best for him. Sometimes they ask you which ones um, family members have been on um, because that's most likely to work for you. You can't just go on Wellbutrin because a friend says so, but I just think that's a weird suggestion. But anyways. Um, when she entered the facility in Arizona, he assumed they would be together once she got out, but then Levis stopped talking to him and hasn't returned his call since June. She never even gave me any closure, he said. It was really hard. It still messes with me. He even tried to reach out through her publicist, but got no response. So, I mean, she sort of explained this to us, right? Where she said, like, her therapists have told her that she did not need to give him closure and she did not need to explain anything to him. I still am confused about that. I mean, if that is what you are supposed to do, I, I mean, that does seem like an odd thing to do to leave someone hanging. Yeah, he did a lot of terrible things to her, but just so that he knows that it's over, right? Just for that sense. I mean, even just a quick letter or text being like, listen, this isn't going to work out for me. I, I don't want anything to do with you. It's just weird just to sort of leave him hanging and that that would have been the medical advice she was given. I don't know. Just curious. When Vanderpump started filming season 11 in June, Sandoval was off doing Special Forces, the reality show on Fox that puts celebrities through pseudo-military training. I'm here because I want to get punished, Sandoval says on the show before he dunks into frigid waters and dragged across a field on the former Nickelodeon star Jojo Siwa's back. When Sandoval didn't win the competition, he felt robbed. He thought producers made it look as though he got eliminated before Siwa, who voluntarily withdrew. They said she lasted longer than me, he said, but she was most definitely n did not. He was convinced that producers didn't want him to win. Who did they want to win, Riley asked, incredulous. Yeah, I mean, there were so many other people that won, so I don't know. I mean, they did end up saying to him, like, you've been complaining this entire time. I don't think he was complaining the entire time. I actually do think that he put in a lot of effort, and it was sort of weird that the way that they let him leave, if he was faking that hypothermia, then yeah, fuck you, you should leave. But I guess we'll never really know. In the fall, he thought things might have been finally turning. He started his own podcast entitled Everybody Loves Tom. An early guest was Dr. Drew, who dug into Sandoval's childhood trauma and declared him not a narcissist, at least as far as the DSM-5 is concerned. The actor Jerry O'Connell came on and apologized for having t-shirts made that said Team Ariana. But the following month at BravoCon, the annual Las Vegas convention for the network superfans, Sandoval arrived on stage to booze from 8,000 members of the audience. I asked Sandoval why he thought the scandal got so big. I'm not a pop culture historian, really, he said. No, you're not, Tom? 
But I witnessed the O.J. Simpson thing and George Floyd and all these big things, which is really weird to compare this to that, I think. But do you think in a weird way it's a little bit the same? I looked over at Riley, who was typing furiously on her phone. I think I knew what he meant. He was trying to express the oddity of becoming the symbolic center of a nationwide discussion and a major news story. What he communicated instead was something more honest, which is just how much the experience made him lose perspective. I mean, this is just such a... And, and this is the quote that's, that's coming out in the news right now. First of all, Scandal was not even close to as big on a global scale as Black Lives Matter or the O.J. Or Simpson trial. My own sister had never heard of Scandaball. Um, if you're not in the reality TV space, I, I really don't think it was that widely known to most people. Um, that being said, it is Black History Month. Um, what happened with George Floyd was an entire movement that changed the world. And it is incomparable to the affair that you had and the ramifications of that because they are not comparable. They are two completely separate things. They had two completely separate outcomes. Um, and this is just sort of gross to compare these, these two things. I mean, these three things. I mean, these three things could not be more different from each other. Um, and they were not the and and. Black Lives Matter and George Floyd was not a, a pulp culture moment either, right? That was a movement that changed the world in a huge, monumental, important way. It was not a pop culture moment. I don't even know what to call it, but not that. And he is going to get reamed for this in the coming days. And, and he really needs to be canceled at this point. Like, the things that he's saying, like... I don't want to be a person who's contributing to anybody's dark thoughts at all, but he is making it difficult when he's going on the vile files or he's doing these interviews and he's saying these insane things that anyone else would be canceled for. I mean, Ramona has, right? I mean, Ramona was canceled for less. So it's just bizarre to me that this man continues to speak. And I understand why he's having dark thoughts, but I also believe that he's putting himself in these weird situations that are allowing him to, get to that level because the public is coming for you because of the things that you're saying because you keep talking. And if you may recall that Ariana was sort of the one who always was his best mouthpiece. He was never good at communicating and Ariana was always the one who would step in and speak for him and now that she's gone, I mean, she was the best publicist he ever had, right? All right, so then he says, I did what I did because I was in an unhappy place in my life, he said. I got caught up in my emotions and fully fell in love. Like for real, he sighed and drained his teacup. Then he got up, put on some upbeat music, and went upstairs to get ready for a night out. Sometimes he says too much, Riley said, and the following day forgets what he says. Then she went upstairs to have a quick word with him. The next day I was supposed to attend the taping of one of Sandoval's confessional interviews for the show. I was about to get in my car when I received a text from his publicist, Riley's boss. He'd rather you don't attend today, it read. He's not feeling the best. The next morning I got a call from Baskin, and the day after that, a Bravo publicist rang me late on a Friday. Some of what Sandoval had said gotten back to Bravo, and everyone was concerned. What was it that he said about O.J. Simpson and George Floyd exactly? Maybe Sandoval wasn't ready for this. Okay, this is what I'm saying. The Bravo publicist asked if I really needed to see Sandoval again. Could the network facilitate an interview with one of the show's other stars? Bravo said it would get back to me about next steps. While I waited, I thought more about Sandoval. When you're lost, sometimes it's helpful to go back to the beginning. Sandoval arrived in Los Angeles in 2004 with the hopes of becoming an actor. When he was growing up in St. Louis, it was all he wanted to be. I love to pretend, he told me and Riley. 
I loved it more than sports. At 15, he started modeling. He briefly lived in Miami, that swampy hub of a male modeling, where he was photographed by Bruce Weber for one of his infamous Abercrombie and Fitch campaigns. In Los Angeles, he worked as a pool boy at the Mondrian Hotel and as a cater waiter, while booking ad campaigns for Rockin' Republic, Ed Hardy, and Von Dutch, the early Aux brands that are apparently coming back now. I have a versatile look, Sandoval explained, because I could do this, like, daddy doesn't love me emo look, and I could do a more slicked back look. What the fuck is a daddy doesn't love me emo look? This man comes up, he, he really, what was that thing that Lisa used to say about him? That he used to fancy himself like an aficionado. <laughs> like he's just, he thinks of himself in this way that only he thinks of himself. He signed up for Vanderpump Rules because he thought people should see what it's like being an uh, L.A. Mactor, a model actor, like driving down the 405, changing clothes, comp cards and headshots splayed all over my back seat. When the show became known instead for his girlfriend sleeping with his friend Jax Taylor, Sandoval didn't mind. When I punched Jax, he said, that sent it into the stratosphere. Riley remembered watching that episode with her middle school friends. We were like, the show is epic, she said. Dude, it was, Sandoval said. It was so cool, Riley said. <laughs> I love that this is in the article. A decade later, Sandoval, who had a boyish innocence about him in those early seasons, has morphed into a unique Los Angeles species. He's late to everything. <laughs> this we know, right, Nick? His publicist never seems to be able to reach him, and his face that has taught sheen that celebrities get from aging anti-aging protocols. He talks about his life not in years, but in seasons and episodes. That is really interesting, because that's something that Nick Vile was always saying, right? That Tom lives and breathes this show, and he doesn't understand a life outside of this show right and that's why i'm so concerned about what's going to happen to them when this show ends sometimes he pauses mid-sentence and stares into the middle distance like a doll whose wound whose wind-up key is jammed until whatever ambulance helicopter or other sound interfering entity has passed and then he continues as if nothing happened even when there are no mics or cameras on him wow so he's just He's just like a man who's like out of it and doesn't seem to have the wherewithal that there's other people in the room and waiting on him. Isn't that wild? He used to remove them during the off season, but now he doesn't bother. We leave them up there because otherwise they'll just do it again, he said. Sandoval can't always tell if he's living for himself or the show or both. Sometimes he really has to talk to his best friend and co-star Tom Schwartz, but he knows he shouldn't via text, so he will call producers and ask him and ask how quickly they could have cameras on him to film it. He feels terrible when he has to bring up something that he knows could be damaging to his castmates, but that is part of the job. The worst thing Sandoval says you can hear while filming is the dreaded, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? That's when you know you're about to be called out for something. Baskin calls this hyper-reality. In real life, you might go to a dinner party and then go home and gossip about your friends. On a reality show, you're encouraged to say those things in the moment. Sandoval is so well-trained at narrating his innermost thoughts out loud that he sometimes has to remind himself not to do it outside of filming. You lose track of, what's a normal conversa of what a normal conversation would be like with people that aren't on the show. I mean, that must be very confusing and a confusing reality. Despite the year he has had, he told me that he has really honored, he has been really honored to be on Vanderpump. The scandal has made the show so big, it's kind of cool and crazy, he said, even though it's negative at my expense. Unlike actors, reality show participants are not protected by the Screen Actors Guild, at least not for unscripted work, meaning they're not entitled to residual or union pay minimums. When Sandoval joined Vanderpump, each cast member made 10000 for the entire first season. Today, the original class makes closer to 35000 per episode. As the genre has grown, participants can make almost as much from other revenue streams like books, podcasts, and brand partnerships, some of which can pay upwards of $250,000. Because of this, what's good for Vanderpump is generally good for Sandoval, monetarily speaking, even if it can also make his life more difficult. 
Opportunities often grow directly out of plot lines. When Sandoval and Maddox were bartending in love, they published a book with a co-author called Fancy AF Cocktails and were hired to mix drinks and sponsored videos for brands like Alka-Seltzer. Since their breakup, their fates have diverged. She's the betrayed woman courageously rebuilding her life while he's the villain endlessly antine... Antoning? Atoning, sorry. While he is the villain endlessly atoning for his sins. In December, Maddox released a new book, Single AF Cocktails, and scheduled events with Live Nation, an event for bad bitches to promote it. Playing all of this up riles the fans and keeps the machine turning. When Maddox said at BravoCon that she still hasn't gotten a meaningful apology from Sandoval and the audience erupted in applause, it reminds me of professional wrestling. You know when the face and the heel talk smack to each other to drive crowds wild? It felt like that except that I'm pretty sure that Sandoval is not pretending. Pro wrestling has always been staged, and the audience knew it but didn't care. But Vanderpump is sort of like the opposite. While fans on some level expect reality TV to be fake and think of Sandoval as just another TV character, it's all very real to him, leaving him trapped inside these storylines indefinitely. Tom Sandoval is Tom Sandoval in Tom Sandoval's life, Baskin told me, adding, Someone might say he is putting on a performance, but he is the performance. His entire existence becomes about processing and talking about what happened. That's really interesting to process, right? Like, while this is going on in his personal life, it is also going on in his professional life. It is going on in his entire life. So he's trapped. See, I used to judge. Wow, I'm just having a moment here because I was judging Rachel so hard for not living in the real reality and not realizing that the show is a reality and that these are not characters, that these are real people. And maybe Tom sort of melded her to that way because he has this sort of existence where the show is, is his entire existence it's it's just fascinating it's fascinating and it's so true what they're saying here because you wouldn't have someone typically who is living their entire life on a reality show you might have a stint of it by being on like a season of love is blind or something like that but to have your entire life play out that way that's got to be super fucking unhealthy Appearing on Special Forces was part of Sandoval's attempt at a redemption narrative. When we drove to West Hollywood that first night, his Mercedes wound its way through Laurel Canyon and emerged on Sunset Boulevard, not far from the huge billboard that showed him commando crawling across a rope suspended high above the ground. These are the perverse economics of being a reality TV star. If it weren't for Scandoval, Sandoval said, I could have probably gotten on that show, but I wouldn't have been, pay- I wouldn't have been on the billboards. Contestants on Special Forces were reportedly paid several hundred thousand dollars, but for the most part, Sandoval hasn't been able to capitalize on Scandoval as much as he would like. There are minimum brands that want to be associated with someone who's thought of as a cheater, Sandoval's manager, Ryan Revel, told me. This winter, Sandoval was hoping to do a residency at Chippendales in Las Vegas, but talks stalled. Ew! What? Okay, I'm glad those talks stalled. He is not attractive. I'm sorry, you guys. I have never found this man attractive. I cannot believe that someone wanted him to do a residency at Chippendales. Thank God for Scandoval. Oh my gosh. Sandoval was disappointed. I'm in a really good shape right now, he said, adding, it's frustrating because, you know, everybody cashed in. Everybody won on this. The cast, the execs, the network. Everybody made so much money. But I try to put it on myself to make the best opportunity out of it that I can. Okay, but Tom, you got to do Special Forces. You got to do The Masked Singer. You did still get opportunities. People did still come out to your shows. And even if they were there to blast you, you know, people were coming out to your shows and you were making money in that sense. Yeah, you were not capitalizing off of it the same way that everybody else was, but you could have tried. Just saying. 
We pulled up at TomTom, a bar and restaurant that Sandoval has invested in and that is part of the Vanderpump universe, along with Sir, Schwartz and Sandy's, Jax's Studio City, and Something About Her, a forthcoming sandwich shop that Maddox is opening with another cast member. For the fans, this landscape is like a Disney world populated by their favorite characters. When I stopped by Sir in August, the food was terrible, but there was a line of people out the door and around the block. No matter what part of the restaurant you sat in, you had a view of cameras filming the cast, which seemed to be the point. At TomTom, Sandoval gave me an insider's tour. There's the men's washroom, women's room. This table is really cool, but you gotta watch your knees. He took me out back by the trash cans where he says Maddox ripped his chain and split his lip the night she found out about the affair. She beat my ass, he said. Through a representative, Maddox declined to comment on the incident. She has denied tearing his necklace off in the past. With the show not in production, the place was quiet, except for a couple drinking wine in the corner and two eager-looking women, one of whom eventually approached. Sorry to bother you, she said, but I just wanted to say this place is awesome. Okay, this is a huge claim to say that Ariana assaulted you, is what you're saying. She's saying that he's saying that she ripped his chain off of his neck and split his lip. I mean... Those are some huge claims. Um, those are some criminal claims. Obviously, he did not press any criminal charges against her. Um, we saw him in those coming days. I don't remember seeing any distortion to his face or anything like that. And that would be a very fucked up thing to lie about if he is lying about that. Um, so I'm very curious what you guys think about this statement because it's a very damaging statement to Ariana. And it's it's a lot of things. So I'm very curious what you guys think about this. So definitely send me a message. Um, we sat at the table and were soon joined by Kyle Chan, a jeweler who appears on the show and is one of the few people who didn't drop Sandoval as a friend. When I asked what it was like being around him last year, Chan compared it to watching Game of Thrones, in which a character named Theon Greyjoy becomes psychologically broken after being tortured and castrated. Sandoval likes to say that as a reality star, he has to live through each event in his life three times. First when he's living it, second when he's taping confessionals months later, and third when it airs and he has to answer to fans. In the real world, he would be able to heal and move on, but that's difficult to do on a reality show time. After season 11 airs, Chan said, you will have to relive it one more time and then you'll be free. Okay, this is actually super fascinating, right? Like, not for him in particular, but think about somebody who just deals with mental health issues, right? So you're dealing with something terrible in your life publicly. Then you have to talk about it again in confessionals. And then you have to talk about it again when it airs. And then you have to talk about it again on the after show. And then you have to answer to the fans as well. How can you ever really heal? And, and this is why it makes so much sense that Rachel didn't go back, right? Like think about how her mental health journey would not have progressed if she literally had to keep being, you're literally being traumatized over and over and over and over again if you think about it, right? Because you might be going through a trauma in your life, which happens on the show, and then you have to address it over and over and over and over again. I can't imagine ever being able to be a mentally healthy person and being on a reality TV show. A couple of weeks before I met with Sandoval, I visited the offices of Evolution Media in a converted shipping warehouse near converted shipping warehouse near the Hollywood Burbank Airport. Bravo, which is owned by NBC Universal, distributes Vanderpump via its cable channel and the streaming service Peacock. But Evolution is the production company on the ground for Vanderpump, as well as others like the Real Housewives of Orange County and Botched. As Baskin showed me around, random objects caught my eye. A can of gasoline, bottles of Tums and sunblock, a blown up diagram of the female reproductive system atop a file cabinet and a few moving boxes labeled bitch. What? <laughs> The office used to be bustling. In the years leading up to and during the pandemic, streaming was at its peak and Evolution was considering leasing a third building to keep up with demand for new content. But the market has changed and people were working remotely. Now we just don't need the space, Baskin said. Bravo is one of the few cable networks that still brings in a loyal and affluent audience, but even unscripted programming has not been immune to the con contraction currently plaguing the TV industry. 
In 2007, when the Writers Guild went on strike, networks rushed to greenlight unscripted shows to plug holes in programming, leading to a reality TV boom. In 2023, despite predictions otherwise, the boom never came. Networks and streamers, which already had a stockpile of programming, held on to their cash, and with media companies consolidating into entities like Warner Brothers Discovery, there were simply fewer buyers in the marketplace. Baskin estimated that when all is said and done, the unscripted business, which would be roughly two-thirds of what it was. Over the years, various network executives have consistently asked Baskin for their own version of Vanderpump. Baskin would love to find it, but it doesn't necessarily exist, he told me. Not that others haven't tried it. There was Ease, What Happens at the Abbey, about a bar a few doors down from TomTom Tom and MTV's Lindsay Lohan's Beach Club, about the staff at her venture in Mykonos. Each lasted exactly one season. This spring, Hulu will premiere Vanderpump Villa, yet another attempt to mimic the formula, and Bravo will introduce The Valley, a Vanderpump spinoff feature, some of the cast members who departed the show in 2020. I actually think that Southern Hospitality is giving those kind of vibes. It's with Leva from Southern Charm as the boss of the restaurant and all the staff date each other, fuck each other, cheat on each other. It is very Vanderpump vibes. And so don't sleep on Southern Hospitality. I just want to mention. Baskin told me that in some ways he wished Scandaval never happened. The national attention made it much harder to film the show. Production always has a few onlookers, but during season 11, paparazzi and fans were everywhere. While the show was filming in Lake Tahoe, someone snapped a photo of the cast that whipped fans into such a frenzy that it became a plotline on the show. Producers used to, used to be strict about not breaking the fourth wall, but now they have no choice to let the outside world into the frame. It used to be that the real story was not that there are people watching the show, Baskin told me. But part of Tom Sandoval's real experience in life right now is that he's not just facing an ex-girlfriend or a friend group upset with him. He's facing the entire nation. As filming for the new season got underway, Bravo had a problem. The cast had turned on Sandoval. Maddox refused to interact with him altogether. In July, Baskin and the network brought the cast into Evolution's offices for what he called a come-to-Jesus moment, but he was no longer talking to 20-something waiters. We can still squeeze a great season out of it, he said, but going forward, I don't know. Levis, who was the only primary cast member who didn't return for season 11, her team inquired about a pay increase and floated the possibility of Levis getting a development deal with Bravo. Oh, I didn't know that. Through a representative, Levis emphasized that mental health protections were her primary concern. Then in August, after spending 90 days in the Arizona facility and changing her name from Raquel back to her birth name Rachel, Levis appeared on Bethany Frankel's podcast. Frankel in a former, is a former Real Housewife of New York. Last summer, she declared what she called the reality reckoning, accusing Bravo and other networks of profiting off a harmful environment created by their own shows without properly compensating their stars. She invited others to join her and teamed up with two prominent attorneys, Mark Garagos and Brian Friedman. No actual lawsuits have been filed, but NBC Universal subsequently issued updated guidelines for its production companies, including additional psychological support for cast members. Part of Frankel's arsenal was a three-part interview with Levis, who described how she was exploited, how she felt exploited by Sandoval and Bravo for ratings without seeing a single penny. Baskin told me that Levis was paid 19000 per episode for 18 episodes and that news of the affair came out after the season wrapped. Are we supposed to give her retroactive payment for having a clandestine affair for eight months, he asked? Frankel would basically argue yes. As SAG members went on to strike in July, joining the writers, she called for reality stars to unionize so they, too, can collect residuals and benefits after the fact from a successful season. But while everyone I talked to agreed that regulations would be a good thing, no one was sure how it would work exactly. Part of the appeal of reality TV is that it's relatively cheap to make, as low as 250000 per episode versus $2 million for, unscript for scripted TV. The draw for all parties involved is that its stars are often plucked from relative obscurity. It's probably good for the business to have some protections, Revel Sandoval's manager told me. Will it happen? I don't know. But no one else is walking. But no one is walking off set. 
I didn't see Sandoval for about two weeks. Then on a Monday in December, I drove to a soundstage in Burbank where he was taping his next confessional interview for the show. Riley wasn't here this time. Instead, we were joined by Bravo publicist um, Erica Fordstadt, a senior NBC Universal executive. My clue that this wasn't typical... That this wasn't typical was when Fordstead introduced herself to Sandoval. You once make me a wonderful mocktail at Schwartz and Sandy, she said. Sandoval was in a small dressing room applying dabs of makeup to his forehead. In front of him were three caffeinated beverages, a Red Bull, an iced coffee, and a Dr. Pepper. He sipped each intermittently. <laughs> what? So he has a Red Bull, an iced coffee, and a Dr. Pepper, and he takes one sip of each and then goes back again. I mean, he, he really is an individual. Yes, he is an individual. That is what I will call him. Um, Sandoval said he was feeling depressed. He said the same thing last time I saw him. When I asked if the depression was show-related, he, he had said, somewhat show-related, just life, business stuff. It's hard. Sandoval began to perform loud vocal exercises. He applied pomade to his hair, combing it back with his fingers, and changed into a light blue women's suit <laughs> from Zara, which he said he preferred to the store's menswear. The suit looked good, but the sleeves barely reached his wrists. That is so funny. That reminds me of um, the, the blazer he's wearing like during this entire season so far in his confessionals, this green blazer, which is clearly a women's blazer. As he emerged from the dressing room, there was something about the suit's feminine cut combined with Sandoval's physique and slightly hunched posture that reminded me of Heath, Heath Ledger's Joker in the scene at the hospital where he wears a nurse's uniform. <laughs> I mean, again, this guy tries to be this individual and dress this certain way, but there's a reason why that a suit like that would not fit you properly. Anyway, oh god. Ugh. And, and and remember that thing he said about Ariana, like, not, like, supporting him, and they flash back to that scene where he's like, what do you think of these pants? She's like, I don't like the green pants, but I like this one. Okay, so she's supposed to like all your green sequin pants, and your blue women's suit, and your green blazer from the women's section? Like, you, you need a woman who's gonna support all your feminine, um, like, outfit choices that don't fit you properly? That's what you need from a girlfriend, or else you're gonna cheat? Anyway. It's hard to tell how Sandoval feels about filming the show. Sometimes he sounded down on it. It has its fun moments, but for the most part it sucks. I've been buzzed through most of it. Other times he told me he would do it for as long as he possibly could. But there was a point last year where he considered quitting. But he was glad he didn't. He wasn't at all envious of Levis, who walked away from the cameras, albeit not very far, as she has started her own podcast, Rachel Goes Rogue. So far, the primary theme has been Scandoval. Sandoval figured she would be back in a season or two. What else is she going to do? I mean, Baskin has literally, Alex Baskin, the executive producer, said on Sheena's podcast she is not welcome back, so I, I don't think that's going to happen. And again, she's not friends with this friend group. It doesn't make sense for her to be on the show at any level unless she's literally just coming back to have a conversation with someone and leave. There is no room for someone who is not part of a friend group to be on a show about a friend group. Anyways. The evolution set where confessionals are taped is designed to look like another room in Sur. There are deep purple curtains, a mirror dresser, and lots of golden velvet. Production for the new season wrapped in September, but interviews are taped for months afterwards to get the cast's reaction to what occurred. The showrunner began by asking Sandoval about a tasting led by a water sommelier that everyone attended in August. Had Sandoval ever heard of a water tasting? I'd never even remotely heard of a water tasting before in my life, Sandoval said. He tried again. I had never heard of or been to a water tasting, but here we are. Sandoval hoped his luck would turn up for this season. It's probably why he agreed to speak with me in the first place. When I talked to him, he was feeling optimistic. He'd been meditating and was about to go back on tour with his band. Plus, he was single now, which he could be, which could be a whole new storyline for him on the show. It's the first time I've ever been single as a celebrity, he told me. I'm not saying I'm a favorite celebrity, but still, just having some notoriety and being single, it's a cool muscle to flex. 
Is it? I mean, you're you're known for being a horrible cheater and a narcissist, and that's the muscle you want to flex? <sighs> Though he had come to Los Angeles to be an actor, he was proud of what he had became instead. Did he become the next Brad Pitt? No. But he didn't want to be that anymore anyway. It turned out reality TV is where the real stakes are. Actors were just pretending, playing roles. I had no respect for reality TV before, Sanderville told me, and now I don't have very much respect for actors. I'm like, y'all tried doing this? <laughs> of course he, no, he knew it wasn't going to last forever, but if he kept at it and rehabilitated his image, there could be life beyond his first show. There were brand deals to be had, as well as reality spin-offs and competition shows. Though if he was going to do another reality series, he would like it to be something more feel-good. Our show can be toxic to film, he said, and very stressful. Despite this, he was as committed to it as ever and hoped it would continue for a while. As long as people are interested, he told me, and we're being honest in our feels. That's what he is doing now, sitting in front of a camera, in a powder blue suit and sunless tanner, being honest in his feels. I watched him on a monitor as he peers into the lens, with one eyebrow slightly raised, then the camera rolled, and his face lit up with a big, genuine smile." So that's the article. Um, he is being dragged online, obviously, um, for good reason, and I really do hope that he gets cancelled this time. It, this really is enough. Um, that being said, I obviously hope that um, he's not having any dark thoughts at this time as the internet starts to come for him with this article, but I also would suggest that he just doesn't do any more media. Because, I mean, God, I hate to even say this, but take a note from James Kennedy. This man has does no press. He doesn't do podcasts. He doesn't do interviews. And he stays in his own little world. We'll get more into that later. But as someone, Tom should realize at this point that he is not a good communicator. He is not good at being interviewed. And he is not good at communicating how he feels on this particular issue. Even Schwartz said that. So stop talking about it. Stop talking about it. Don't do interviews. They're making you look worse. They are ruining your life. And you are ruining your own life by continuing this. And that is it for News of the Week. I take sketch comedy very seriously, so it offends me when people just think that they can just do it. Okay, let's get into Rachel Goes Rogue. So she dropped, she roguely dropped an episode late Monday night, and it was actually a good one. So this is actually her response to season, or sorry, episode three of Vanderpump Rules. Um, and in this episode, she had her publicist there because Tom had mentioned her publicist a couple of times, like on the after show. So I guess she wanted her there to speak to it. Um, she said that episode three was very heavy for her to watch. And um, there was a, a statement that Tom had made on the after show where he said that um, Rachel's publicist kept saying optics, optics, optics. And that's why like she broke up with him and her therapist was, or sorry, her publicist was there to say she didn't say that um Rachel said that was actually something more that Sandoval would say where he when she got out of the meadows or sorry before that um he was always just saying like the optics of how things were gonna look and it was not something that she was gonna say um in terms of Tom's birthday she was saying that she got out of the meadows on July 3rd and Tom's birthday is July 7th so um that is why he expected her to reach out to him um her publicist says that she dumped him because um you know, he was taking power away from her, which is a decision that she made herself through treatment. Again, it's weird that the publicist is sort of like making this statement for her, like Rachel can make her own statement as to why she um, decided to stop speaking with him, but whatever. Um, the publicist also mentioned that she had actually begged the network to post where Rachel actually was and told them that Rachel was receiving death threats. And she said that she had actually released the information herself about the Meadows, but it just sort of went to deaf ears. And she actually even tried to get the network to get the cast to be honest about what where she was like when they were talking about her on their podcast and bravo was just like we can't control what people say on their podcast 
Rachel also says that uh, Lisa Vanderpump has extended more resources to Tom than her, and it's typical for Lisa to take the men under her wing. She doesn't care about the women on the show as much as when, as men, um, and she has a business with Tom. Um, she must not. She didn't care about Rachel's mental state. Um, she never reached out, and she didn't care about Rachel's mental state when she pulled the whole Graham thing on her. So this is interesting. I mean, I totally agree that Lisa has always been more for the men. Um, in this particular situation, I actually understand it a little bit. So Lisa had no relationship with Rachel, right? She didn't really know her, didn't really have a relationship with her, but she has had a long-standing relationship with Tom. She knows him quite well. So I could see why, you know, she was constantly coming to him about his mental health because she genuinely cared about him. I think when the whole Rachel and Tom thing happened, it kind of scared, it scared a lot of people. People were like, who is this girl being Rachel? And we're kind of scared by her. And it's like, ooh, like, do I want to even come near this? And so I, and Lisa having not even really known her at all, probably was just like, I just want to stay away from this. I'm not defending that whatsoever, but she also knew that Rachel was getting mental health support, right? So did she really need to reach out to Lisa or, or to Rachel to see if she needed mental health support when she knew that she was getting it? The Graham thing did she think about Rachel's mental health when she gave Graham back to James? No, probably not. However, I'm sorry, Rachel. That being said, the dog was given to a shelter. So at that point, the dog was no longer in your possession. And also she didn't know until you told her, which was after the fact, that you didn't want um, Graham's, Graham with James because you thought that he wouldn't be a good dog dad. So... You know, she wasn't going to take Graham away from him at that point or even quite tr trust you, quite frankly, because, again, she had no relationship with Rachel. Um, so to, to think whether it would have affected her mental health, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't have thought of that necessarily. And you kind of have to separate that when it's like you did give away the dog, which I totally understand. I'm completely in support of her needing to continue with her mental health journey. But the dog also needed a home, right? At that point, the dog needed a home. Um... So then she talks about the whole Nima of it all. And she said that um, what actually bothered her the most was actually Tom talking about the podcast that Sheena had with Nima. She said if she, he knew, what she did, that it affected her mental health, then why would he bring it up on TV and bring it up again, like when the podcast was months ago? So when the podcast came out, it had its own fire or air, and then it went away. And then it gets brought up again on TV and now it's giving more light to it again, right? And that's what she's upset about. She actually said that she was so upset about it that she actually didn't listen to it for the first time until yesterday. Yesterday, I guess, meaning Sunday because she re uh, released this episode on Monday, um, which is several months later. Um, she said that her mom had actually sent her or called her or she called her mom, I guess, however it works in the meadows. And her mom had told her about the episode and she was really down and out about it. Um, she said that Sheena had actually set her up with Nima. They had hung out a few times and he was really nice. He encouraged her to use her voice, but nothing really came of it. And Sheena used to make it look like, or Sheena used the situation she's saying, like on her podcast to make it look like Rachel, some sort of promiscuous woman. Um, she said that when her mom told her this, this was like, she was really down and out and really upset. I'm actually confused. I mean, when Rachel was on the Bethany Frankel podcast, it was so clear that she had been kept up to date on everything that was going on um, with the scandal, which I guess now is her mom who's providing her that information. I don't... God, I think it was actually really not wise of her mom to continue to give her this information while she was trying to get treatment. Because again, if you're constantly being re-traumatized, how can you heal, right? So she went to that place to separate herself. You have your phone taken away from you. You're trying to heal. And then your mom every day is being like, this person said this about you. This person said this about you. And how could you possibly 
ever get to that place. And maybe that's why she needed to extend so many times, right? I mean, because I remember hearing way earlier on um, from people who had actually been to the Meadows that it would be very extremely rare to stay that amount of time. But maybe she kind of needed to keep restarting her mental health journey because she kept being re-traumatized by the information that kept being provided to her by her mom, who probably should have kept her safe from this. But I'm just saying. Um, She explains that... In terms of James, and, and I think this is really interesting, and it sort of um, touches on some of the things we've been talking about about James recently. So she says that James ignores a lot of what's going on in terms of the press. He doesn't give it a lot of attention. She says that James looked up to Tom, and Tom encouraged him to be a part of filming, but their friendship wasn't that close. This is interesting because James has continued to say that they are. Tom has said that they're not, and now Raquel is sort of co-signing Tom on this. Um, and she said that comparing James to Ariana isn't quite the same. His perception of who Tom was was shattered, and James is just an angry person, and he takes things personally, um, but he lives in his own world. So this whole thing about him living in his own world, he doesn't do media and press, it really is telling to what's going on right now. I mean, we are asking questions in the media right now about James Kennedy. What is going on? What is going on with this investigation? What are the allegations? Who is coming forward? And he hasn't said a word when I watch What Happens Live, didn't say a word. Um, hasn't said a word in a podcast, in media, or anything, yet has continued to promote his DJ business, but he's turned off his story um, messaging, so people can't send him messages to his stories or respond to his stories. Aside from that, he hasn't said a word, and I guess that sort of explains, because a lot of people have been asking, why isn't he trying to clear his name? And somehow, he just seems to be able to live in his own world where he's able to block that out. Um, Rachel says it's interesting that Tom is holding the Kristen thing above James's head when Tom had gone out of his way to drop money on James's proposal. So this is interesting. Um, she said that she confirmed that she and Tom were not seeing each other before she and James broke up, which a lot of people had assumed because of that weird situation where Tom had paid so much money towards Tom and Raquel's, or sorry, uh, James and Raquel's engagement. Uh, she said that Tom told her that he wanted the show to look good because they were in a COVID season and he felt like they needed to make the engagement extravagant to make it look good for the cameras. And she even questioned why he contributed to the engagement. But she said he really, really cares about the success of the show. She said the show is his higher power and it controls a lot of his decisions in life. So that is so telling to what we just talked about in terms of the New York Times article, right? I mean, his decisions in life are driven by the show and the success of the show. I do find the whole engagement thing fascinating, though, because Tom this show has money and producers and whatever. They don't need you to make the show look good. They have money and, produ and production value to be able to do that themselves. To be quite honest with you, I do not recall the details of, of uh, James and Raquel's engagement, uh, Richella. I remember Tom going around and handing people money. I remember there being fireworks. Aside from that, it wasn't so visually pleasing that I have never forgotten it. I have forgotten it. So, also, you're not an executive producer on the Showtime. It's so bizarre that he continues to try to integrate him, his ideas onto it when it you are just a player on the show, right? It's just bizarre that he would spend his own money to try to increase the production value of the show. I, I don't know. I just find that fascinating. Anyway, um, then she says that she actually is happy that Tom um, defended her about the podcast because it really did upset her. Um her mom had told her that, like, when she had told her about it, she said that the podcast had involved explicit sexual things, and her mind went was spinning. She didn't know what was being said and thought it was the absolute worst. And she was like, when you're in intimate relationships with someone, usually that stays between the two of you. And so she was surprised that he talked about that. 
Um, and he apparently, Nima, had actually gotten mad at her for going on Sheena's podcast and just talking about their date. So it's possible that he was trying to get back at her. That's interesting. Like, apparently she had just gone on their Sheena's podcast just to talk about their date and how it went. And he said something like, I'm a professional and this doesn't look good on me. So... I mean, I don't know much about this Nima guy, but um, she's speaking with Emily Hanks said that she has sort of a history with him, like she went to prom with him, and apparently he's not a great guy, so I really don't know about this one, but yeah, I mean, looking back, it really wasn't cool of him to discuss um, the fact that they had even had sex at all. Um, she said it's not okay for people to tell others that you have expressed suicidal ideation. She said that Tom had already brought this up on two teas in a pod, and she already had to process that with her therapist, and he made it seem like they had a suicide pact. Um, when he said it again, but to defend her, it was still not okay to discuss that personal emotional turmoil state of mind with the rest of the world, and that really crossed a boundary. Okay, so I totally agree with this, right? Like, there have been a few times now where Tom has outwardly talked about Rachel's mental health, and that is not his place to do so. It could be actually very dangerous to do so. And he did that with Ariana as well. He weaponized her mental health by saying she was going to kill herself if he didn't, if he broke up with her. So it's it's just really upsetting that he's constantly talking about other people's mental health for them. It is very dangerous. Um, then Rachel explains what actually happened uh, in her conversation with Nima about the open relationship. So she said, here's what happened. So she told Nima that she and Tom and Jesse were in the jacuzzi at Coachella until 5 a.m. talking. Nothing happened that weekend, and Tom and Ariana were being extra lovey towards her. Tom and Ariana, she said to Nima, were giving off an open relationship vibe. And Nima said, do you think that they are? And Rachel said, no, but it's a weird energy. And then Nima said, do you think Tom is interested in you like that? And she said, yeah, I felt like he was. And then Nima said, would you be open to that? And she said, no, I'd be more likely to hook up with Ariana than Tom. So... Rachel wasn't expecting to address Sheena's podcast or have it brought up on this season, but that is what led to her darkest thoughts. And she said that she hopes, like, the public is now seeing um, how vindictive Sheena's been and that Nima and Sheena take some accountability because you really shouldn't kiss and tell. And she's sort of trying to bring to light how vindictive Sheena was last summer. She said she feels she should have gone through with the TRO and held her accountable and thinks that Sheena is just trying to rehabilitate her image. She says that she was advised to just cut Tom off because if she tried to break up with him, he would try to turn it around. Okay, yeah, this sort of explains the whole um, thing he was saying about his birthday, um, you know, and her not reaching out. I mean, if... Okay, so the, yeah, she was explained, it was explained to her that if you just cut him off, you sort of have to because he is the type of person that will always try to draw you back in. So she wasn't going to have a choice. And that makes sense. And then she tried that, she said that she tried to break up with him before special forces. This whole concept of trying to break up with someone, I, I just love it amongst these people. I, I don't understand what it means. Um, and apparently he said, please don't do this to me and said that Kyle Chan had to come and take all the guns from the house. So she felt like she had to ghost him. Okay, now this makes complete sense in retrospect, right? Like, okay. It's obviously not good to ghost a person or not to tell them why you are no longer with them. But if she has already tried to end it with him and he has tried to um, threaten her with his mental health and she has tried to break up with him and he wouldn't allow, allow her to do so, then it seems like she did not have a choice. And, and that makes complete sense. Um, she said that she thinks everything he is saying on camera is in preparation for her to come back. She expects to see him turn once he realizes she isn't coming back. And we can definitely already start to see that on the after show. Um... So it definitely seems like Rachel is completely turning when it comes to Sheena. Um, she actually made this whole reel of Sheena saying like, oh, what is Rachel's podcast going to be about? Just talking about Sandoval. And then all these clips about, of Rachel's, or sorry, of Sheena's podcast where she's like, Sandoval, 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 Sandoval. So you know what? She's having her time with it. And 
you know, she really feels that what Sheena has done to her over the past year has been very vindictive in terms of speaking about her. So Rachel's having, Rachel's gone rogue. Rachel's having her moment. And that's it for Rachel Goes Rogue. And that's God, why you why go is it about on. the damn pasta? Get over the damn pasta. Read between the f***ing lines. It ain't about the pasta. It's not about the pasta. It's not about the pasta. Okay, let's get into our Vanderpump Rules recap. And before I get into this, I just wanted to mention, um, unfortunately, there are no new updates with regards to the James Kennedy allegations this week. Um, we thought that we would be getting some more from Kristen Doty, but she is in Hawaii for her birthday with her boyfriend. Um, so I'm assuming maybe something will come out next week, but she did say that something was coming out soon and that she would be telling her story soon. Um, so we're hoping to get it there, but there are no updates as of right now that I haven't already given you. Okay, so episode four, we see James getting ready for the pool party that he's hosting for the first time. He says he spent two grand on the pool party. I don't understand why production doesn't pay for these things. I mean, I think they do for Real Housewives. Like, if he had to buy a bunch of, like, food and decorations and 12 towels, he said. I just assume that production pays for these things. So it kind of sucks that you have to pay for your own parties. Um, and then we see a scene of Katie and Ariana getting ready for James's party. And they're talking about how when they came home... Um, the night prior from see you next tuesday they got into an uber and it was the same uber driver who drove her and tom home on march the first when scandal broke where they're having like a whole fight in the car and people keep telling me like i need to find this guy because he's i'm the bravo investigator and it's so funny because ariana was like he didn't seem to know it had become a whole thing and she's like i think there's a lot of people who want to talk to him and i love that she's basically calling out the bravo content creators of it all here right because yeah we're the people who want to talk to that guy basically i would just need the email um receipt and we know that kristen doty knows how to get those right so i just need the email receipt from ariana's email so that i can find that uber driver but how hilarious that this guy does even know it became the scandal of all of it all right um so they're discussing the previous night at sir and ariana's like you know i don't know why schwartz suddenly thinks he's the authority on my life when i haven't spoken to him in months just like a man to do that and katie is saying that she would rather eat a jean jacket than go on the toha the tahoe trip and she has a lot of other work to do for the sandwich shop um, so these two girls are not going and that we know because we've already seen the footage of the tahoe trip last summer when they were filming it so then we have a scene at Lisa's house. She gets a new dog named Donut. And because I am now very partial to Pomeranians, as I have my own beautiful Pomeranian, Judith, I am obsessed with Lisa's new dog and I really want to pet Donut. So Sheena and Lala come over to Lisa's house before going to the pool party. And Lisa's explaining how she's really worried about Sandoval's mental health. Sheena says that she's mad at Sandoval because she had sent him a very sweet text when his friend passed away and he blocked her. She said that he's diving into this villain energy and she's not here for it. He needs to humble himself, have some humility, and get a good therapist. So I agree with her on that. He is not humbling himself. He is not just... He just continues to double down and he just will not take full accountability that we all know but however Sheena's acting a little bit like a housewife when it comes to this whole thing it, it's just it's giving very your daughter snubbed me at the airport sort of vibes like okay yeah you sent him a sweet text but you were also talking shit about him constantly online so yeah I, I mean he and if she, Lisa's saying that she's worried about his mental health to a greater extent you saying that you sent this sweet text and he blocked you like fuck off Sheena anyways so that she's like um, she hasn't seen him depressed. She feels like she's only seen him project. And that makes sense, right? I mean, it's one thing to hear from Lisa that Tom is having these dark thoughts, but it's another thing 
that you're just not seeing it, right? I mean, he's out there um, performing and he's singing, Schwartzy's mom has got it going on, Raquel is hot for me, right? Like, I, I mean, it's just all these things are not making you seem like somebody who is so down and out, right? And then Lala mentions that he had doubled down and called Lala a narcissist the night before, which he did when fucking Lala was not even there. He just said that to Sheena because he cannot help himself from not being right in the situation. So Lala says she can't forgive someone who doesn't support her. Lisa's like, but you have so many people in your corner and he's depressed. And she's just talking about how it was staying with her because of what happened to her brother. And as we know, her brother had committed suicide. Um, so she feels like there's only so much one person can take before they break. And I agree with that. I mean, the scandal of it all was so huge and you could totally see there being a moment where he breaks. I totally understand that. Lala says she doesn't want someone to wear this for the rest of their life. And she explains to the camera that she didn't give his mental health much thought. She sort of put him in the same category as her ex, as somebody who doesn't have feelings. She says that she has a lot of anger and she doesn't trust anybody and it's not healthy. This is really interesting. I mean, to be completely honest with you, when Scandival first happened, I didn't give Sandoval or Raquel's mental health any thought, right? I mean, we were coming down on them so hard and it really, somebody needs to speak out, which they did, you know, they both did and spoke out on their mental health and you kind of need someone to speak out to to realize that you're going way too far and we did go way too far it should not go to this extent where someone is carrying this this much but yeah I, when it happened all we saw was red and we just were not thinking about their mental health so then sheena explains to lisa that you know she was such good friends with sandoval and this isn't easy for her because he was one of her best friends but is it worth losing ariana and she says she is someone who's struggling at this level but like you know how can she keep coming for him? Which I understand, right? And this is something she was saying in the media, like, you know, if somebody is having these dark thoughts and these mental health issues, how can I not reach out? How can I not be that kind of person? That's fine, but that's not what's being asked of you, right? Like you're saying here, if someone is struggling, how can I keep coming for him? Yeah, stop coming for him. You don't need to keep coming for him. You don't need to be friends with him, but you can stop coming for him. You can stop talking about him on your podcast and you cannot be his friend and that's how you can support him, right? I mean, that that's how you can support his mental health. You don't have to be his friend and you don't have to come for him. You can actually cut out both of those and that that should be enough, especially at the place in their friendship where they are, where they are not friends. Um, so yeah, just the two aren't mutually exclusive. So everyone ends up meeting up at James's for the pool party. And um, then we have a separate scene of Tom and Billy going to do a cold lunge cold plunge. Um, Tom tells the camera that through the scandal, he's been really stressed and depressed and realized that he has to be able to handle his emotions in healthier ways, which I totally agree. He continues to, it's, it's what Schwartz said in that first episode where he's like, if you continue to get upset in these ways, like this isn't going to go well for you going forward. You need to find a healthier way to talk about this or to expel your emotions. Um, he said he's never been on the outside of his group of friends before, and he feels like Andy Dufresne and Shawshank Redemption. But Andy was innocent, Tom, though, so, okay. Um, we're back at the pool party, and Lala asks Allie how the no drinking is going for James. She said it's going good, and it's been about three months now. Lala said, do you ever have conversations about why he got sober? And Allie said yes, but she wasn't going to share that. And Lala says that everyone has a uh, rock, bottom, rock bottom moment. Okay, if James had a rock bottom moment, what was that moment, right? I mean, it is very strange that um, James is not drinking at all now, and um, had it been going on for about three months. And for Lala to say, have you ever had conversations about why you got sober? And Ali's like, but I'm not going to share that as if it's like this big secret. When someone has a rock bottom moment, it is a big moment. You've done something heavy. And we'll get into that more later um, once we see um, James explain a little bit more about what happened and why he stopped drinking. 
So we see a scene of Lala and Schwartz talking at the pool party. She's saying that she came for him pretty heavy and she's working on not getting triggered. She feels like she always has her dukes up or she's crying in the fetal position. She's always one or the other. And that is so where Lala is right now. And I think she's even said numerous times that she's cried more this season than probably anybody. She's, she's still working so hard on... She feels like she has to be the dog in everybody's fight, right? And that's what's just really killing her. And Schwartz talks about how Ariana was looking at him like he's subhuman and she's been giving off diva energy as opposed to someone who has been hurt. And he said that that was triggering for him. That was interesting. I mean, we never really thought about Schwartz's mental health in all of this, right? And I guess he's taking the way that Ariana is acting towards him. It's making him feel like lesser than. And he doesn't, he's feeling like, the person that she is acting like or the energy that she is giving off is not one of a scorned woman and it's not one of somebody who's hurt but is somebody who is acting like they are better than and that is really upsetting for him. Um, Lala tells the camera that she cannot wear her trauma like a badge of honor anymore and that's so true she used to be like you know because this happened to me I'm gonna do this to you or I'm gonna take you out or I'm gonna fight for this and you know her trauma is her trauma, right? It's not a badge of honor. It's something that she needs to work through and go through because it's it's literally killing her, right? She is such an amazing mom and she has such an amazing family, but she's been through these horrible things that she makes so obvious are really still affecting her, which is fine, but she's just got to get that help to do it because, I mean, it was great that she was so supportive of Ariana during the reunion and during all of season 10 um, once Scandaball broke, but for for two women who were not that close friends, you know, Lala was really, really going to support her and then making friends with Oliver's ex-wife and Randall's ex-wife because she feels she has these shared experiences with them. I understand, but it just shows that you still have not worked through that trauma. You know what I mean? Um, so then Schwartz tells Lala that maybe she should be giving the same heartfelt sentiment to Sandoval. He says that when he sees her with Ocean, he sees what a great mom she is and her humanity. And Schwartz says he can't and he won't abandon Sandoval. And I was surprised to hear this so early on in the season. I mean, we saw in that first episode, or sorry, the second episode, yes, yeah, so only two episodes ago, Schwartz and Sandoval are having a conversation at a bar, and Sandoval's like, are you with me? And Schwartz is like, I've got to do what's best for me. But it seems like very quickly Schwartz is, and I don't know if this is production, or the fact that, like, literally Sandoval needs somebody to film with, so they're forcing Schwartz to get the band back together, but Schwartz has folded very, very quickly when it comes to Sandoval, in my opinion. So then we have Sandoval and Billy um, back at the cold plunge place and she asks him if he's thinking about dating and he says no and he really misses Raquel. <clears throat> he said the last time he talked to her was a few weeks ago and he didn't think it would be the last time. He said in that conversation, which they put on the screen, um, so it seemed like a flashback and it said 27 days ago, but you couldn't hear her on the other end of the phone. Maybe he was leaving her a message. I don't really know what that conversation was, but he was extend like in that conversation, he said that she was extending her stay and he told her that he loved her and that they would talk later. And that was three weeks ago. And he's telling Billy that they would hang out and have sex, but the hangout part was the best part, not the sex part. It was the hanging out. We really love the hanging out. And then he says he's pretty much saving himself for Raquel. Whoa, you fucking liar. Are you kidding? We saw you over that summer going on tour, hooking up with chicks. There was Carly Hale. There was all of these Kylie. I don't know. There was all these women's names throughout the summer that we were tracking. You were meeting these random women at bars at shows. You really were saving yourself for Raquel. Are you really saying you weren't sleeping with a bunch of women that summer? Because she thinks you were. She said that on Bethany Frankel. She was like, he was seen with a gaggle of girls over the summer and that she had to ask him about that. And I'm still curious about that. I do not believe he did not sleep with anybody else while Raquel was in therapy. Um, and I also think it's interesting that he's saying 
that she was telling him he's she was extending her say. He's like, all right, told her I loved her and we would talk soon. While according to Rachel, that was not his reaction. And as we recall from my last episode, um, Rachel said on Rachel Goes Rogue that when Tom said that she was extending her stay, he called her selfish, said that she he had never seen her so dependent on a place. And she told him that she did not feel mentally well enough to leave and he still tried to encourage her to do so. So... You know, I, again, I am really glad we are getting her, her side of the story. Somewhere back at the pool party and Sheena tells Ariana that Lisa had asked her to ease up on Sandoval because she's seeing a lot of similarities between him and her brother. Ariana said Lisa's brother and Sandoval are not the same because Sandoval still won't take responsibility for what he did. Ariana says that she's not going to go on her Instagram and be like, Hey guys, um, it's me, Ariana. Can you please be nice to Sandoval? Okay, thanks. And you can, you can feel the anger in her voice when she talks about this. And then we see Ariana telling the camera that maybe Sandoval has had some thoughts and feelings, but those thoughts and feelings were based on a situation he created where he didn't care about anybody else's mental health. And then she says, I know I'm a bitch for saying this, but it's a little bit annoying. Ugh, Ariana, I love you so much, but that is fucked up, okay? Like, I totally understand what she's saying, and I made a similar point last week in my episode where I was explaining that you know, even after all of this, Tom still has not confirmed that he would not cheat again. So it's not like he's even learned something from the situation. Because I understand having dark thoughts and feelings after having gone through something, but then make sure not to do it again so that you won't be in that situation again. So that's sort of what Ariana is saying, except she's saying that like this situ in this situation, he wasn't thinking about anybody else's mental health, which is totally true. And, but at the same time, just to say that his mental health struggles are annoying when they are very real, right? We have to take people's mental health struggles very seriously for her to call it annoying. Ugh, like, it's just, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. Um, so Ariana is like, he's a scary person and it's all manipulation. And when Sheena was like, okay, but he was an amazing friend to me, she's like, no, no, it wasn't. So it was sort of interesting to watch this dynamic start where I, you know, even Tom said in the last episode, Ariana is not the one who's like proactively trying to take him down. But I also thought she wasn't really doing that with her friends either. I thought she wasn't really saying anything to her friends about him. But I guess Sheena is probably the only one who's actually considering speaking to him. And so she feels like she needs to sort of shut it down. But, you know, she has said before, she's not going to tell anyone what to say or who to be friends with or what to do. But it sort of feels like she is when it comes to Sheena. I don't know, just saying. So then um, we have a scene of James going over to Lala's house and Lala asks him what made him get sober. And he said, when the Tom and Raquel stuff happened, emotions were flying high and he and Allie were fighting a lot and he would be getting drunk. And then she went and stayed at her friend's house and took the cats and she was gone for two nights. He said, this time he's sober for himself, not for his relationship. Okay, so for him to get so bad in some sort of way, that she actually picked up and took the cats. We don't even really need to take cats. Cats just need to be fed. They don't need to transport, be transported. So if you're taking the cats, you're leaving. You're leaving. So this is just such interesting timing, giving all of the James, given all of the James allegations that are out there right now, that something happened to such a level that she needed to pick up and leave and take the cats. And, you know, if this is his rock bottom moment, what was the moment? What did he do to lead to that? For her to leave the house, for you to stop drinking forever, right? Because he is now saying this is a forever thing. And he tells Lala that he, this is another thing. He tells Lala that he told Ali at the time he would do anything to get her back and he wouldn't drink anymore. Yet he's saying he is not sober for his relationship. He's sober for himself, but it is for the relationship. So he gave Rachel such flack or, or the camera when he was talking about her, like, you know, she put me in this situation. She gave me this ultimatum. 
but you're in that same situation again and it's because of you because drinking turns you into a terrible person I mean you're a terrible person anyways but it's come to the point where you are having to do this again and it's because of something that happened in your relationship you literally said that you're saying it's not because of your relationship but then you're also saying that you told Ali that you would do anything to get her back and you wouldn't drink anymore so I am again given these allegations that have come out yet and and then we have Ali I guess the timing is just so suspect with Ali going on shenanigans being like oh he's never done anything physical to me yeah I wanted him to stop drinking yeah he's a better man when he's not drinking yeah we're all people that need to grow and learn like yeah and and then you have a scene like this which in a timeline perspective is just so fascinating given what's been coming out about him so I think this actually affects Allie's credibility a little bit in terms of what she said on shenanigans because obviously something was going on bad enough that she would need to leave. That's just my opinion. Um, Then Lala tells the camera that she will never have another relationship in her life like the one that she has with James. She said that they were two train wreck kids who have just gone through sobriety journeys together and they are bonded for life. And this is really interesting and I think it really speaks to a lot of the questions online people are asking about well, why would Lala support James if she knew that James had done all this fucked up stuff? If there's all these allegations about James, why would she support him? And I think that there's this thing inside her that she really feels, like like she said, she feels this bond towards him because of the sobriety journey, but she really compartmentalizes alcohol where she's so embarrassed by the things that she did while drinking that she wants to put it in this box and be like, but when I'm sober, I'm a different person and he can be too. And everything that happened back then... Um, is different because that's when I was drinking when like if you commit a murder while drinking you're still going to go to jail for the murder right like the things that you do while drinking are still impactful and you can't put them in that box and I understand why she feels that she has that bond with him but in my opinion that bond should not go above and beyond the safety of others right like whether he's drinking or not whether he's sober or not whether he's your best friend or not whether you have this bond or not he has done some fucked up things and you should be supporting the people he has hurt as opposed to just protecting him because you you both are sober lots of people are sober lots of people have gone through difficult times it doesn't mean that you have to protect him and create a shadow or mask over all the things that he's done that's just my opinion then we have tom schwartz introducing us to joe girl joe who we were told about last year he said that she is a light in his life he said that he was never living with her so he wanted to clarify this he said he was never living with her but she stayed with him sporadically she's not his girlfriend and never was they had a whirlwind romance but are friends now in my opinion in following joe on instagram she is very obsessed with tom she posts about him all the time so i think deep down she is in love with him but it doesn't seem like that's gonna go the right way for her or the way that she wants it to go um so she's cutting his hair in this scene and then sandoval comes over to schwartz's and schwartz invites sandoval to lake tahoe and tells him just to try to leave his ego here and say sorry and sandoval says like yeah i'll be like lala i'm sorry i gave you so much content for your podcast and i'm sorry for all that merch you sold god damn fuck off about the podcast like he's so obsessed about everybody going on podcasts and talking about him i just i just don't understand and then he's like you know, Lala and Sheena showed the world how to treat him by calling him a narcissist. And then everybody followed his lead, uh, followed their lead. And I do understand that. But Schwartz is like saying, you know, (laughs) if you want to work this out, like he's like, I don't want to undermine Sandoval's feelings. But his whole they don't know what they've done to me thing isn't going to work from him for him. And he's totally right. If he does want to get back into this group, which he's saying that he does, he just needs to humble himself. And then Schwartz tells Sandoval that he actually sees Lala softening up quite a bit. And he said that she was very self-aware yesterday at the pool party. And Joe was like, finally, 
Joe, you actually don't know Lala. Lala has been very clear about that. She said you only met once and you tried to stick your fingers in her baby's mouth. So that's really annoying for Joe to jump in. Um, then Joe keeps actually trying to insert her herself into the conversation between Schwartz and Sandoval where they're talking about Tahoe. And she's like, I think, I think, I think. And then like Schwartz is totally cutting her off. And it's funny because like she's trying to have a part in this conversation in a part in this scene because she's on the show this season, but nobody's interested. So that was pretty funny. Um, Schwartz said that people might be in a place to talk and might not come after him. So he's really encouraging um, Sandoval to think about going on the trip. Um, then we have a scene in uh, Sheena and Brock's apartment and Tori comes over to babysit Summer because Sheena and Brock have dinner plans with James and Allie. She said she's nervous about leaving Summer with someone who isn't her mom. So she called her sister to help because these are baby steps. Um, so Brock and Sheena are out and they're waiting for James and Allie and Brock says like, you know, this is like our first date night. And Sheena's like, yeah, like we're taking these little steps. And he's like, yeah. And it seems like a big part of this season is going to be the downfall of their relationship. Not necessarily downfall, but they're definitely having issues when it comes to Sheena's um, postpartum OCD. He keeps calling it her ability to get things done. Um, and it seems to be calling causing a real strain in their relationship. And I, I wonder if it would be helpful for him to go to therapy with her so he has a better understanding of where her mental state is at. It's so hard to understand somebody else's brain when you're not in it you know what I mean um so then Sheena so James and Allie show up and Sheena explains to James and Allie what Lisa had said to her about um her concerns about Sandoval's mental health and Allie said that she feels uneasy to be around Sandoval with how he hurt James um but she also doesn't want to be like fake and be nice and be like hi nice to see you so they're just trying to decide what they're going to do about Tahoe and then James um said that Lisa had actually wanted to meet up with him the next day so he thought it was going to be about Sandoval so the next day, James goes to meet Lisa at Vanderpump Dogs. And like I said, he thinks he's going to there to talk about Sandoval. And then down the stairs comes Graham, his dog, right? So as we all know, James and Raquel had a dog together named Graham. Um, when they broke up, uh, Raquel kept the dog because um, he was a graduation gift from her parents. And just to quickly <laughs> go over the story of what happened, just so we can all remind ourselves, um, while Rachel was in treatment, um, the dog was with her family. He bit her mother to the bone. Um, they tried taking him to a Golden Doodle Rescue Center in California. He was rehomed a few times to different fosters and was being trained. He bit the fosters. He bit the trainers. Then someone contacted Vanderpump Dogs and asked for a donation. Um, sorry, this is all Rachel's story, and this is um, the story that we know from the articles that were published at the time that somebody uh, had reached out to Lisa Vanderpump for a donation um, to get another trainer for Graham. And then she said that she would adopt him. And if she couldn't find someone to take him, that he could live on her land um, until his dying days. So we have James showing up and then Graham comes down the stairs and James is like, is that Graham? And at first he has almost no reaction, but then he cries and Lisa's like, he's been rescued. And she says she got a call from someone who said Graham had been in a foster home for two months and had bitten a couple of people and he was going to be going to a shelter. So she was asked if they would take him. And James says that he feels angry and confused and he still doesn't know how it's possible. But he said there's a reason for everything and, you know, this was meant to be. And it is a beautiful scene, despite how I feel about James, it's a beautiful scene. But this scene is super fucking confusing because as all of us internet sleuths know, we were watching their filming like Hawks last summer. So we saw um, Lisa take Graham on a private jet to Lake Tahoe with Nicolaine and all those people and then reunite James and Graham. And there was pictures of Graham in Tahoe. Also, another fun fact is that... I remember um, 
the Instagram stories of James, Ali, Lala, Sheena all taking a flight to Lake Tahoe and then James and Ali driving back because they had Graham because they had just gotten Graham. So I don't know what producers and editors were thinking. This obviously this season was way different than any other one we've ever had where we've never had um, audience members watching the filming going on as it's happening and knowing all of the storylines before they happen. But production and editors do know that we know that for this season. So this scene sort of felt weirdly placed. I don't know if it was filmed after the fact. The fact that James had no reaction was weird. The fact that Graham didn't really have a reaction was weird. This isn't the story. I mean, we know that there's much more to this story. And if Rachel was right, which I believe she is, that Lisa wanted to turn this into a storyline, why didn't you? I mean, there was so much more that happened here. Um, I don't know why this wasn't turned into a much bigger storyline or a much bigger story and had played out in Lake Tahoe like we all thought that it was. So I'm confused and it sort of, as much as I like to believe that reality TV is as real as it is, when things like this happen, it reminds me of of how fake it can be. Um, so that was disappointing, but I am curious to hear more on that and I wonder if they'll speak about it on any podcasts or on any after shows because I want to know the sequence of events here as to what happened with Graham because this literally makes no sense. Um, so that's basically it for the episode. Then we get to the VPR after show and James says that being re reunited with Graham was one of the best moments of his life. And then we have this um, part where Sandoval said um, that for Graham to end up in a dog pound and possibly be euthanized was a really bad look. And this is totally where we see Tom turning on Rachel. He knows that that's not what happened. He knows that the dog was not going to be euthanized. Again, guys, I have looked at this dog shelter and it says on their website that dogs are not euthanized. It is not, it is a golden doodle rescue and it is, the dog was supposed to be rehomed and give and be trained in the, in the interim. This dog was not going to be euthanized. So for Sandoval to say that means that he's trying to turn on Rachel because he knows that that's not the truth. He knows very well what happened. Then we have Ariana talking about Graham and she was talking about how aggressive he was, but James says he's a different dog. I, I mean, we, we already see in the scene for next episode, like how, I mean, I was thinking of this at the time. If this dog is this aggressive, you're going to put it in a house with these two cats and with a guy who's very aggressive as well, right? So like, I mean, now he says this dog is completely different and is doing really well and I really hope that to be the case. But it's just so weird that this dog got passed around through so many different people because he was biting so aggressively and... Rachel had said she had gotten him quite a bit of training as well. So James was the one who was able to finally get this dog to really turn around. I just, that just seems odd to me. Um, then we see Lala talking about um, talking to Schwartz at the pool party. And she said that she felt she needed to owe him some grace with what he went through with his family. And I feel like that's true. We do really forget how much Schwartz was going through with his family last year. Um, Schwartz said that he missed his friendship with Lala and that this was sort of the first moment he felt a deep connection with Lala in the group because he felt that he was also an outcast and was also sort of being mirrored with Sandoval in the affair and he had started spiraling in his mind and we saw that happen and he was really struggling as well there were also so many people in his ear telling him to get rid of Sandoval um and Sandoval's like I would never abandon Schwartz over some shit like this right but again I think for Schwartz it was more the business aspect and how much it just sort of you know they had put so much money and time into that business and for their business to sort of fall to the ground because of it I think is why Schwartz was so upset um, Lala also says in the after show that no one was asking Schwartz to stop talking to Sandoval. They were just asking him to sort of stand up for himself and reconsider the business relationship, which again makes total sense. Um, James says on the after show that had he not stopped drinking, this would have affected his relationship with Ali and it would have gone sideways. And he goes on and on about 
um, sobriety and how great it's going to be for his life and, and all of that kind of thing. But again, for him to basically answer that question and say that if he hadn't have stopped drinking, it wouldn't have worked out for him and Allie, then basically that sounds just like the ultimatum that Rachel gave you as well. So to come for her for that, when she sort of had to do that for her own mental health, um, to be able to continue this relationship, it just shows that it was so required because if now in Allie's relationship, you're sort of in the same place. But again, let's keep thinking about this because what was this rock bottom moment? What happened for you to never drink again in your relationship with Allie that led you to this place, right? What was this rock bottom moment? What happened? Um, so that's it, you guys. I think that's it for the episode. This was a super long one. Thank you guys for coming out and listening to all of this Vanderpump related stuff. And like I said, I'll get you a bonus episode with the Real Housewives of Miami and Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Um, final episodes. I'll get those to you on Saturday. We'll do a quick recap on those as well. So that's it, guys. So you can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also um, subscribe to my YouTube channel at I Take Bravo Very Seriously, and you can listen or watch episodes there as well. You can follow me on TikTok at The Bravo Investigator. You can follow me on Instagram at The Bravo Investigator and at I Take Bravo Very Seriously. And please, guys, rate, review, and subscribe. It's really important. It really helps the show grow. I'd really, really appreciate it. And until next time... Keep taking Bravo very seriously.